people need ordering principles. Twelve rules. Hello, and welcome to Twelve Rules for What. This is a podcast about fascism, anti-fascism, and the far right. My name is Alex. If you want to support the show, you can do so by following our Twitter or Instagram, or you can subscribe to our Patreon for as little as £2 a month. You get episodes a couple of days early, uh, and you can send messages on there too. I'm always interested in your ideas or feedback or like episode suggestions, so please do get in touch. You can do so at 12rulesforwhat at gmail.com. Finally, uh, this show is part of the Channel Zero network of anarchist podcasts, so go and check Channel Zero out as well for more great shows. Just to let you know, we had a few problems with the recording, so there's like two or three sections which I've just recorded over. Uh, hopefully they're not too noticeable, but it just meant, you know, basically my mic cut out and I just re-recorded what I said. Um, this week I'm joined by Andy Minker of the Activist Court Aid Brigade, which is a court support group for activists. Um, it's a little more specific to the particularities of UK law, but I hopefully kept the discussion broad enough and explained enough of the stuff that um, anyone will be able to pick up on it. And I think it is useful and interesting to understand how the law and legal system and also policing has changed in the UK in recent years and what we can do to safeguard our movements against further state surveillance and repression. With that said, on with the show. So for this episode, I'm joined by Andy Manker of the Activist Court Aid Brigade, which is ACAB for short, um, to discuss um, the changing protest situation in the UK and what relevance that has for anti-fascists. Oh, welcome, Andy. Welcome, Alex. Um, or if you're someone else, um, welcome that person instead. I will edit my na- my fake name over the top of what you just said. So um, brilliant. Um, <laughs> um, you know, like a, I think the reason why I want to do this episode is like the, the, a lot has changed in the past. You know, three years or so, the government has brought in a, like a bunch of public order legislation. The UK government. Um, in response, seemingly at certain points, to various tactics that XR and Gestapo would do, there's like a a new piece of legislation or a new point would be added to the law as you know lock-ons became a thing or big mass arrests became a thing, that kind of thing. And I think it's it's often for like non-legal people, it's often quite hard to understand what has changed and what hasn't changed, and and what we need to change and how we do our politics and activism in order to to respond to that. So maybe you could start by saying what are some of the good things that have come out of it, because I think the point of the new law is to stifle political activity generally. Just because people are scared about the new laws? So yeah, I wondered if you could start with that. Yeah, um, so these laws, as you correctly identified, are pointed at XR and its derivatives, Insulate Britain, Just Stop Oil. They are one of... There are two major types of legislation in in criminal law ones that set out the law and are a revision and um, are intended to be comprehensive and then there are panic ones brought in because there's some problem that the government has just just thought up so a famous example of the latter is the Dangerous Dogs Act. Um, if this is in the news, it will be a, a, an issue at the moment. It was ill thought out, brought in because some uh, dogs bit people and then uh, you had to deal with the consequences. What has happened with the Police uh, Crime Sentencing and Courts Act 
and the Public Order Act 2023 is exactly that. They are things specifically designed to give the police and the courts powers to deal with what the government sees as the particular problem of the moment. This is relatively good news for anti-fascists because most of those things do not impact on anti-fascist activity with one very notable exception. Could you please tell us about Now, um, the conditions imposed by the police on processions and assemblies. Now stop me if this starts to get a little complicated because it is. Um, very simply put, the situation has become worse on a principal point that the amount of conditions that can be imposed on assemblies has increased to any that they think suitable. And now you can be convicted of not complying with the conditions if you ought to have known about them rather than if you did actually know about them. So there is no more la 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 sticking your fingers in your ears, I don't know, and them having to prove it. So just to explain to our non-UK listeners, it used to be a thing where um, restrictions had to be communicated to protesters and if they didn't know what those conditions were, like you need to disperse now, they couldn't be liable for criminal sanction. So people would, you'd often see it in UK protest stuff where a police officer would get on a loud hailer and everyone would stick their fingers in their ears and go la 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 and they could legitimately claim that they didn't hear the words and therefore they weren't in in breach of the conditions now it's changed to you ought to have known which is a semantic distinction in many ways but of course the law is all about semantics really um so what does that mean now well you cannot you can no longer go la 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 the practical implications are these uh, ten years ago, in 2013, we had a demonstration just around the corner from where we are now. Uh, I say our location is, of course, secret, but um, um, in Tower Hamlets, um, 286 anti-fascists were arrested uh, trying to oppose the EDL um, for breaching the police's conditions on the demonstration. One of them was convicted. The rest had the opportunity to sue. And this was because the police did not take those measures of handing out uh, leaflets to everyone and filming the fact that they knew that they were breaking the conditions. The only person who got convicted threw a bottle in a copper's face, which is unsurprising that they got convicted. That's a different offence. It's, it's a very different offence indeed. Um, so what will, the difficulty now, first of all, is much easier for them to get convictions and it's also much easier to justify arrests because when we talk about large-scale arrests, it is rare for everyone to be prosecuted. But if they have changed the situation so that the arrests themselves can be justified on reasonable suspicion, uh, then that will block people suing even if the case is dropped against them. So that means that uh, whereas after Tower Hamlets there were several years where the cops did not do mass arrests on protests, they are now going to be considering it um, much more. At the moment, they have used these new powers largely on just stop oil and their slow walking. But they are starting to use them elsewhere and we've had one conviction already for the Honor Oak anti-fascist protest. 
So the the thing about Master Wrestling, I was going to ask about this later, but since we've brought it up already, there's kind of a twofold thing to it, isn't there? Because obviously there's the arrest and the attempted conviction, criminalization, um, but also you you can also see them as exercises in intelligence gathering as well. Like, you know, once you're arrested, you will, unless you're going to stick it out, you will have to give your name and address at some point. Those then go on file. Can people can there can be like patterns of people who are being arrested or like spotted and, and this kind of thing. So yeah, it's 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 of concern that the police are now re re getting into I suppose getting back into a mass arrest as a tactic. Yes, and um, a little diver on on intelligence stuff. Another thing that particularly affects anti-fascism in the recent years is bringing MI5 back into the anti-fascist hunt under the name of LAZIT. It's a department in uh, MI5, left-wing anarchist uh, and single-issue terrorism. So anarchists get a specific mention in the acronym. Yep. Whereas back in the pre-Cold War days, we were... um, F7 together with the revolutionary socialists and not very high up on the on the list of things. I think it's also maybe it's like a change in the outlook of the state and the security services in that for much of the 2000s and 2010s it was all about Islamist terrorism and that was just they, everything else kind of fell by the wayside and wasn't a concern of security services and we've seen a reorientation I think particularly with uh, the kind of national action situation um, in which, you know, national action, we're, we've covered them on the show before, but we're like extremely edgy, hardcore neo-Nazis who said extremely anti-Semitic things and planned to kill MPs, for example, you know, and this has kind of caused a pivot back into, I suppose, uh, domestic political um, monitoring and, 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 and uh, policing as well. Yeah, um, the the next two levels of surveillance that we have is uh, what's um, the counter-terrorism command in various forces, which is coordinated by the Met, um, what used to be the special branch, and then the public order branches in each, each force will have their own um, data gathering service. Um, and arrests are really really useful even in this age of social media where people are giving away information with with shovels uh, um, there is a lot that you get from actually physically seizing people and getting the things that are with them Um, i will note the issue of phones obviously but once they've arrested you they can raid your house and they can take your computers and so forth and they can get lots of stuff now quick example if you are arrested and uh, you have a phone, uh, have it uh, locked because they still have to go to court to get your passwords. And that is a very difficult process. If it is open, if like a certain Roger Julian Hammond, Hallam, you go into the police station to hand yourself in with your phone, make sure you have no texts on it that say things like, don't tell the others they'll be signing away their lives in blood because when it's read out in court it sounds bad yeah mental you would you could say yes um okay moving back onto the kind of protest law changes i suppose there's like it's kind of difficult to like i still it was still quite new it's the legislation still quite new so there's a difference between how the law's written and how it's applied which is often completely 
you know, the police can push things how they want as well, how they choose to interpret things and how they how they how they apply it. And I suppose the the the, the most recent anti fascist thing is has been these um oppositions to the um far right attacks on trans people and particularly drag drag queen story hours, particularly in Honor Urk. And yeah, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and how what that what those on the on prosecutions and monitoring can tell us about where they might be going in the future with this kind of stuff. Okay, um, the far right presence is relatively small and has been outnumbered by counter protesters throughout. Um, therefore, the policing genuinely, for once, is protecting the fascists, uh, as the chant goes. We have had very few arrests for the large numbers of people there, um, but we do have two um, arrests for grievous bodily harm, which is total bollocks. I mean, that's a really serious charge. You yes. can get, like, life for that, so... Yeah. But that is based on the testimony of the far right themselves, uh, which is not going to, to hold up. We have, as I said, had one person for um, breaching Section 14 conditions, uh, which unfortunately there was body ward footage of um, the copper shouting in his ear and um, him shouting back, which made it very difficult um, um, to defend. Um, and then we've had um, one person for carrying a bladed article. Do not go to demos with a knife unless you really, really have to. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then... Uh, expected but they they weren't expecting to use it they just had it in their back pocket and that's uh, that's a mistake and then we have had two other people um, um charged with a fray well sorry uh, arrested for a fray but not charged uh, because it was a little scuffle with with the fash um and that's um so so far fingers crossed we've had nothing really bad happen but the potential, um, legally, we've had bad happen in terms of people being beaten up by both Nazis and, and the police, but that's a, a rather separate issue. But the potential is there. The cops are all over it in very large numbers. And um, they have a filming van there every time. They know everyone who is in, involved within a reasonable amount because there is no way you can be there for four hours without. And they are undoubtedly building up a picture. If they so chose to try to run a conspiracy case against certain uh, people, I think they haven't got much given the circumstances that is a, a clear right-wing attack on a community venue. Uh, but the police's attitude on the ground has been throughout. Uh, it's uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Who is, uh, who is being the aggressor? And, of course, if the fash managed to turn up early uh, and stand outside a primary school and the local teachers get really irate, then they're the aggressors in the line of the eyes of the, the cops. So that's worth, worth bearing in mind. You brought up conspiracy, which is... A thing that I, I think people don't really get or understand necessarily. Um, it's one of these offences that you don't actually have to particularly, you don't have to, literally don't have to do anything um, in order to commit it. So could you just tell me, tell the audience a bit about conspiracy and, and how we can, you know, there is an element of like not avoiding it because you have to organise and sometimes you're organising things that are like, 
have the potential to be illegal, I suppose. So, yeah, what is conspiracy? Conspiracy is an agreement to commit a criminal offence. It's um, outlined in Section 1 of the Criminal Law Act 1977, and you can conspire to commit any other criminal offence, and the penalty for it is the same as the offence itself, with the exception of murder, where the life sentence is discretionary. Um, you can, in theory, conspire, and all it needs is an agreement. There doesn't need to be anything in writing. There doesn't need to be... Um, um, any documentation or video evidence if they can work out that there is an agreement between two people then there is a conspiracy you can conspire to drop litter in the street but it is only usually used on serious offences because all conspiracy cases have to be tried in the crown court with a jury there's no option of magistrates at all so that lifts it up to a but what these are called are incohate offences where you haven't actually done anything. And there are similar offences of encouraging and assisting offences um, or aiding, abetting, counselling or procuring them under the Aiders and Abettors Act of 1861. So we could commit conspiracy right now if we agreed like, on air to do something. Yeah. And obviously it's, it's hard to... In totality guard against that but um in your experience what would you advise for example if there was some hypothetical anti-fascist group that was thinking about organizing some kind of action and they were they were wanting to minimize the risk of cons committing conspiracy what are some of the key points you would advise them to avoid um I'm probably not the greatest person to go through a list of standard security uh, advice, but follow all, all the, the, of those uh, to the letter. Um, legally, the thing to think about is that what anti-fascists do is they act in self-defence and defence of others. Um, and this comes to almost all the offences that, that anti-fascists get charged with, whether it's a variety of different assaults or public order offences, if you get arrested for them, um, your, your defence is going to be that you're defending yourself or other people. Um, technically, you might say that you're preventing crime or preventing a breach of the peace, but the same rules apply for all of them. You are entitled to use such force as is reasonable in the circumstances to defend yourself or other people. And that is worth people drilling into your mind because if you get arrested or charged and you say I was I went there to beat up the fascists you're absolutely not got a leg to stand on but even if you strike the first blow even if you um, come prepared as a group to to do stuff if you can honestly get up in court and make the jury believe you that you were, were there to defend people um, rather than than to attack people and that you were doing it only so much as was necessary rather than because you hate fascists and you want to see them suffer as attractive a proposition as that may be and uh, if you um if you want, you can read Section 76 of the Criminal Justice and Immigration Act 2008 that sets out piece by piece what you, you do. It's one of those very rare ex exceptions. 
if you are arrested in a fight um, with, with the Nazis, when the cops say to you, do you have to say anything? If you say, I was defending myself, I was defending other people, and then shut up, you have raised that defence at the earliest possible point. And this is really important when you get to court, because when you get to court, the, their barrister will get up and say, well, you've only raised self-defence because your clever lawyer came trooping down um, to the police station and put it in your head. If you've managed to, to, to say it before you, you actually had legal advice, then that is a much more powerful argument to put forward. Um, maybe just following on from the from the conspiracy thing as well, like, I mean... There's a kind of quite a recommendation that you don't write anything or text anything that you don't want to be read out in court. And we've had experience of that before with anti-fascist cases as well. So I guess, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think another good solid point is not to text or email or even signal message. Like signals, fine, but obviously if you've still got a message in your phone and they do, do get into it, then if you're texting things like, let's go to this location at this time because there'll be some Nazis there, you can't really make the self-defense argument because you're planning to go to where the Nazis already are, I think, and it's that makes it much more much more difficult to <laughs> difficult to argue. Yes, we have had um, um, signal messages read out that said, "Let's move to signal; it's more secure." That doesn't sound good in court either. Um, if you want to practice, um, read what you've read, add the magic words "Your Honour" after it, and see if the judge laughs or uh, or is laughing at you or with you. Um, um, so, just to move on a bit, I guess you've you know been a you're a very le experienced legal observer. Um, before we start asking questions about that, like what what is legal observing uh, at its core? Because it's an interesting role. You don't really have any kind of legal standing um in the in the eyes of the courts and yet testimony from legal observers has been really helpful um in anti-fascist and lots of political cases but anti-fascist cases as well so i wondered if you could just talk a little bit about the role of a legal observer okay um modern uh, legal observing in this island comes out of something called the trafalgar square defense campaign set up after the poll tax and people realised that people were being convicted on the say-so of the police because there was no one else there to provide evidence. And so um, TSDC, which became the Legal Defence and Monitoring Group in 1994, uh, put out legal observers wearing bright orange bibs with little notebooks to take notes of what was happening so that they could uh, be, um, be witnesses and also to find the details of other people who, who were there who could witness uh, as well. The uh, second uh, major function is to hand out what are called bust cards, which have le basic legal information and the number of experienced public uh, and pro protest solicitors on. And thirdly, it's to act as a counter um, to police intimidation and violence, that they realise that there is someone, even if they've not got any formal status, who will report their misbehaviour and who will stand up in court to do it when ma many people are intimidated out of doing so. Um, so I've been a legal observer since 1998. Uh, um, as I say, because I got to, I was bad at fighting and I was too slow to run away anymore. <laughs> um, now, it's... Uh, 
it is not, we stress, a, a role for people who don't want to be arrested because you've got to stand up to, to, to the cops and you've got to occasionally push push the line with them uh, on what they're doing and questioning them, even when they threaten you. Uh, they very rarely arrest legal observers, but if, if they sense that you're nervous about it, then they will uh, just ignore you and, and, and carry on with their stuff. Uh, if you want to get involved, contact us at um, ILON, the uh, Independent Legal Observers Network, um, uh, or uh, Green and Black Cross, which is probably easier because GBC's got a website. <laughs> and uh, we do trainings uh, quite regularly, and, uh, and it uh, is usually extremely boring because most demos, nothing happens. But... It's like, it's like being a steward or stewardess on, on the airline. Um, most of the time, you just hand out uh, uh, little things and get uh, abusive remarks and, uh, from the punters. But there might be the occasion where you're the person who has to go back into the burning plane and drag someone to safety. So um, it, it is a, an important and useful role. And, yeah, like you said, most legal observing is really boring. But, and obviously, oftentimes, most anti-fascist demonstrations are extremely boring too because nothing really happens there's loads of police but occasionally it you know quote unquote kicks off and i wondered what what is that like because it's it's one thing to be in to be an anti-fascist demonstration and to have the knowledge that things might happen and you're there to, you can defend yourself legally you know you can defend yourself in any way you can to secure your life and the life of others and etc safety even um but you're there in a kind of media not mediating but in, literally an independent capacity so how have you found it to manage those situations where there is you know actual violence happening and things like that um, I have never been directly attacked by fascists while legal observing. Obviously, legal observers, because we wear bright orange bids, we do not try to go when people are trying to do surreptitious things because having people in fluoro following you around attracts the wrong sort, sort of attention. So... We only really get involved in that, those things where there is some sort of public confrontation that, that's happened. Honor, Honor Oak's a very good example of it. I've ended up on the wrong side of, of police lines in, in Honor Oak on a couple of occasions, but to be honest, they are sea cat fascists lacking the resources and determination to beat people up for, for random reasons. There are situations where it has been a little more, more hairy, Brighton for the um, March for England stuff we, um, we got pelted with um, chairs and ashtrays and glasses and stuff but I managed to duck uh, but they weren't deliberately going for me, they were just pelting the crowd yeah um, sometimes, sometimes and the worst one of all I suppose was Dover which was like which six hours of, I wasn't on six hours of street yeah. fighting essentially um, yeah okay but there, there were legal observers at Dover as well so yeah. it's good to keep in mind um I guess maybe just to start bringing things to conclusion. Um, you know, I'm actually taking Dover as an example. You know, some people argue or like don't really see the importance of legal observing necessarily, but I would present Dover as a, as a case where there was a, an extended conversation with, between anti-fascists and fascists and just looking at the resulting convictions, arrests and convictions, like there is a really obvious disparity Um so, yeah, I guess the whole point is to keep 
people out of prison and keep people out away from not being charged and convicted. And part of that is educating people about their rights and what they should do and what can they should say if they get taken into custody. And and part of that is is being this independent independent witness. So and it's, it's it's kind of hard to like thinking what ifs and counter counter examples and stuff. But how how do you think legal observing what role does legal observing play within these movements in order to keep us safe when we're doing it? Okay, that's a very good example with Dover. We have a green and black cross. They do not have a red, white and blue cross. Um, <laughs> they do, but it's, it's just a flag, really. You know, yeah. it's not. They're, um, um, they do not give people preparation in, in the law. They do not provide decent solicitors. They do not provide witnesses. And the system knows this. They are, in fact, extremely vulnerable due to their ignorance and uh, their lack of, of organisation on, on the legal front. Plus, no decent lawyer will represent them, which uh, is a, uh, a strong, strong element. So if you like, our overall structure of preparing people of fighting cases it's very, uh, it can be very dispiriting sometimes when people get sent down, as some people did for Dover and, uh, and have for, for other anti-fascist things. But when you look at what could have happened or what would have happened to the other side in similar circumstances, we have got a particularly good record of people beating uh, raps and also of not getting as serious a sentences as you might have expected if those cases hadn't been very well presented. And I guess looking into the future as well, it's hard to see how this country is going to, you know, life for people in this country is going to get any easier in the in the coming years just because of, well, one thing, we've got this climate crisis happening, which is going to be the case for the rest of our lives. Um, but also, like, you know, there's a, a general rising poverty kind of general degradation of of living which obviously breeds kind of far-right activity and, and fascism feeds off that kind of thing um what is my question it's <laughs> kind of really really depressing situation but um i think i mean i guess the where do you see the role of the state being um going forward you know i feel like maybe you agree maybe you don't agree that it's going to be become quite a lot more interventionist in movements again and and we're going to see a kind of return to this kind of forward intelligence protest management to the point of protest um poli you know heavy protest policing what do you think the situation is going to be like in the next i don't know five ten years we have if you like had a big gap since the last time there have been big urban protests in this country 2011 that is almost certainly going to come back. It is very hard to see that people, however uh, they have been repressed and subdued with all manner of other measures, will not at some point kick back and the state will uh, attempt to come down extremely hard on that. And we can see that they, there is preparation uh, for that on a lot of different fronts. Uh, some some have mentioned the the prison building uh, program is is well underway. We have um, 
um, Wandsworth has been in the news a lot in the, the last couple of weeks. Uh, until two years ago, Wandsworth was the biggest prison in Western Europe. It's now fifth because we have opened uh, bigger prisons. Uh, the UK has opened bigger yeah. prisons, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, um, we have seen in Bristol um, the use of riot charges for the first time, uh, well, at least of more than a double figures, uh, riot charges for the first time since 2001, which was in Bradford. And um, people have gone down for sentences that are ridiculously high given the, the level of... Uh, of violence, even if you are looking at it from a completely state point of view. Um, 14 years, uh, admittedly, for um, for arson with intent, but uh, for sticking a, a piece of cardboard un under vans and lighting it, uh, that that would have been put out with, with a fire extinguisher and the guy clobbered in, in, in even a few years ago. So they are looking... Um, to bring massive prosecutions. There is incredible delays in the criminal justice system at the moment. Uh, that is likely to continue for the foreseeable, but we know from 2011, when they're really pressed, they will sit all, have court sitting all night and they will speed that up once the big number situations start to happen. And and I suppose even even leaving aside the the court logjam, just being on bail or just being on court bail, there is an incredible amount of restrictions that can be put on you. Just just in your general life, you can't go to certain areas, and you've got this case hanging over your head for months or years at a time, even. So it's not. You might not. It might be two years until you get to trial, and then that's a two-year delay in your sentence. But you're still living with this thing overhanging you. A recent. Uh, case for the um, Seven Oaks uh, anti-fascist protest um, in 2018, as I recall. Long time ago now. And uh, 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 happened in March 2018. Uh, one person was on trial this February, four years, 11 months afterwards. One person had already been ple had pleaded guilty because they had been on tag for over three years. And they worked out that whatever sentence they got, because you get half a day off your sentence for tag, they would get them automatically released, so they might as well plead guilty. That is an extreme example, but, um, yeah, um, people are left twisting in the wind, and it has huge effects on them, their friends, their family, and everyone else. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> you, note. you already shouted out um, the different contacts, but if we'll say them again, there's the... So GBC has changed a little bit since I was involved or catching up with it. Um, and there's now different various emails addresses for people to contact. So there's the Independent Legal Observer Monitoring Network, which email is... I'm not a clue. I will edit it in. Um, there is also the Court Support um, Group, which is, which is ACAB. Which is court support easy one court support protein.com and that's for people who are going through legal procedures and would like support in any way so like finding witnesses um coming to you with, to sit in the public gallery and be there for you when you come out of a trial and there's gbc which is <laughs> i uh, do you remember the protest support line number and there is 
Green and Black Cross, who, as well as running trainings, Know Your Rights workshops for activist groups and running legal observer trainings, if you want to become a legal observer, have a protest support line, which you can ring at any time of the day or night. Um, but if you would like to be nice to the nice people running the phone, don't ring them at three in the morning unless it's a massive emergency. Um, which is 07946 541511. And you can get basic legal information, not advice, because most of the people running it aren't lawyers, um, but basic legal information. Um, you can give GBC information about arrests or trial dates, and they will feed that onto the court support people. Or you can, um, on a demonstration, if your friend gets nicked, you can ring it in and that is really useful information for them to have because they maintain records of people and then they can check in and organize witnesses and and things like that so yeah yeah so um if you have more complex questions we prefer it if you uh, email in but if you have to ring ring the number and we will get back to you and then we can meet up and we can talk about about stuff that you might not want to talk about on um, other media and with that said, uh, Andy, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.